Should have come from the other side of the stage. It's a little crowded over here. It's my fault. Um, good to see everybody tonight. Um, if you were here last Sunday evening, wasn't that a great time together? As we uh, Actually, I guess it was Sunday afternoon, wasn't it? As we did a uh, time to celebrate together how God is at work and uh, was at work in our Christmas season and uh, different things going on in the life of the church. It was just an exciting time together. Heard back from some people just how uh, much of a benefit that was. So just really exciting. And uh, tonight this kind of uh, ties in with what we, uh, Mike particularly was talking about last week as we've been looking at how are we as a church going forward into 2024. This whole idea as we looked in the Gospel of John, even as Patty did such a great job this morning, um, this idea of people come and come and see this Jesus. Uh, could he be uh, God's Messiah? And uh, we want this to be a year, a season of, of gospel proclamation, which is why we have uh, the series we do in the book of John. But as I mentioned, we also, if that's what we're wanting to see happen in the life of the church, we felt how appropriate or uh, how really, really appropriate it would be uh, that we also have some opportunity on Sunday evenings to be thinking about how are we going to have gospel conversations not just something happening in this room, uh, but something that can happen anywhere and everywhere uh, that God has us. Um, so we have called this equipping kind of season that we have as a church, tell the truth. Because there has to have that uh, ability, that opportunity, that space for the sharing of, of who Jesus is. Uh, and I've called tonight Facing Reality. As a church, if you guys put on the next slide here, it says, you know, we're here to invite all people into an ever-growing relationship with King Jesus. That's why we are here as a church. And I think if for followers of Jesus Christ, the things we just sang about the gospel, about who he is, about what he's done for us and saving us, thanking him, praising him, recognizing his greatness and his goodness, and his power, we, we resonate with that. We, we love that. And we love this. We want people. Oh, we can go back. Come on back. We'll, we'll, we'll come. That's a <laughs> wonder what's coming next here, right? But if we think of this, this topic of evangelism, it probably generates some reactions, which now you can go ahead and, and put the neck. They were, they were a little anxious there. But Maybe, just maybe, when you heard we are going to be talking about evangelism or you came in tonight not knowing what we were talking about and you hear the topic, that first bullet point on your sheet, maybe there was just the littlest bit or not so little bit sense of dread. Just a little bit of dread. For various reasons. And I'm just going to, we're going to have an introductory talk tonight just to kind of set the tone for for where we'll be going. Dread, because most of us, um, I think Mike alluded to this in the last few weeks as well when he introduced the Gospel of John, we, we don't really relish the social awkwardness that can come along with actually opening our mouth and talking about Jesus with people. There can be that element of it. And some of that is also related to things we've observed, or perhaps things that we personally have experienced where you are worried that maybe I'm going to stand up here and talk about some really strange things, some strange methods, some strange uh, ways to go about this to, to get results, 
manipulation. Uh, honestly, the strangest one I have ever experienced was, if you're familiar at all, back, uh, I think they still have them, but I haven't seen as many, these little pamphlets, little tracks of communicating, you know, something about the gospel. And I knew a man in the United States, and you can just chalk it up to that. It was America, and that's what they do there, right? But he would literally go into the gentleman's toilets at a rest area, an oasis along the highway, and unroll the toilet paper a little bit, and tuck a gospel track up in there, and then re-roll it. Because what greater opportunity is there for the gospel than when one is in the toilet? And you're pulling it out and saying, what is this? What must I do to be saved? Right? And you may be thinking, and that may be an extreme case. But perhaps you have seen or experienced yourself methods that make you feel like, I don't want anything. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person who, by the way they go about things, causes that awkwardness. So there can be dread. But with that dread can also come with this topic, if we want to please the Lord, a sense of difficulty and guilt. Because as followers of Jesus, as we dive into this topic and just kind of kind of start dealing, facing reality, we know it's something we're called to do. And I'm not going to make you put up your hand in the room, but if we did room participation right now, and I said, how many of you, when you think of evangelism, dread in some form that I've mentioned or something else comes into your heart? Probably a good number of us in the room. And as I shared uh, last week that this is what we would be doing, and, you know, some have approached me and have just said, you know, this is just such a difficulty for me. And the guilt that they struggle with. And so, dread. That can be one. But we'll leave this guy up right now. You don't have to go forward. But there's also sometimes for us, um, if one response is dread, another one can be, and it can be related to the dread. And that is this sense of deficiency. Of lack of whatever. Fill in the blank. You know, I don't have enough knowledge. Um, I don't have enough skill, or I don't, I, I'll just mess it up. I, I you know, there's, there's a lack, this constant, constant lack, a feeling of weakness. And as we walk through these, these weeks, as we head up towards Easter, because in my mind, just to give you a sense, we had a great run up till Christmas, didn't we? A great season of outreach, and we celebrated all that God had done. Well, there's an, another window, another door that's coming with Easter. Maybe not as prevalent in culture as, as Christmas, but in another opportunity where people might have a little bit of, of openness. And so this is, as we think about this, thinking of it in context, and we think about our deficiency, our sense of lack, whatever it may be, I have found it interesting that no matter how much skill a person has or how much theological knowledge, guess what? You always feel like you could have more. And in reality coming from a posture of weakness and deficiency isn't a bad thing. Because when we come with a sense of overconfidence, we start perhaps moving into the area where we cause people dread, just, just to say. 
But in all these things, and I alluded to this with the sense of dread and guilt, in our struggle with this, that feeling, this, this vicious cycle and cyclone of deficiency and dread and guilt can lead to discouragement. And if we let that sit, disengagement. There's a, I know some of you um, watch American football. I heard somebody mention today to this morning about the Green Bay Packers to me. And uh, that's the team from where we moved from in the United States. And they're in the playoffs and different things. Uh, one of their great coaches said, um, there's discouragement is contagious. A lack of confidence is contagious. But so is confidence. And it's a question of where our confidence comes from. When we, when we get in that cycle of dread and deficiency, if we don't deal with it and address it and face reality, we will find ourselves in a position of discouragement. When we get discouraged about opening our mouths or, or sharing the gospel, it leads to disengagement and even distance. So as we think about this and our, our general responses to it, I just want us to cover some introductory thoughts tonight to get us thinking about this. Because in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there you are, hiding away, not telling anyone about Jesus, right? Um, we, we read this. We, we, it's a familiar verse for many of us. We looked at it in the autumn when we went through our series On the Move, this idea of God being on the move through his church. And there's this progression here. If you remember, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses. And there's the, the movement in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the utter ends of the earth. And to the ends of the earth. But it's this word, my witnesses. Something we're called to do. Something that has a, a progressive and in, in, in outgoing influence. But it begs the question. What is it? What is witnessing? Because any of us from our experience of life, maybe, maybe some of you, many of you have had experience in church and what I would call church world, witnessing may be what I described to you earlier as that person handing out a piece of information that says, here's the truth you need to know. For others, it could be, well, I, I invited somebody to a meeting. For others, it could be, well, it's the way I live before others. And there's this, there's this whole you know, picture out there, perhaps, of all these different pieces. And, and what does it really mean? <laughs> it's kind of like the spirits moving, right? The rush of the great rush. <laughs> it does feel a bit like that. So on your page, I have uh, a picture of an airplane. And uh, I, I want you to, to look at it. In this light. This is not that I accidentally created a fusion worksheet for Sunday evening, um, but the idea of two extremes, two, two sides of a balance, if you will, of a way of life in terms of witness, what I do, how I act, versus the word of life, something that needs to be shared and communicated. And the reason I have this up here um, as an airplane is because the last time I checked on an airplane, it's good to have how many wings? Both, right? You really, you want to have, you want to have both of those wings. So the reason why we have this up here is because we know you need both. 
we know there is a relationship between how we live and what we say. We know our duty is not done if I simply tell you facts about Jesus. If I just simply say, well, he lived so many years ago, he, you know, this is what he did, blah, 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 blah. There you go. I've told you the gospel. I've witnessed to you. Or if you simply say, well, I, I, I witnessed by my way of life and how I love people and how I treat people. What is the complete picture? The complete picture is you need both, both wings on the airplane for it, for it to get off the ground. Now, just as a way of observation, and I, this is just me, <clears throat> but God has granted us through the center and a lot of things that happen, particularly around Christmas time. And this, this is a continuum of witness. I'm not saying this isn't witness and this is and vice versa. It, they're both. And God has granted us some tremendous, if I could say over here, warmth in our community around the way we live as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's gold. It's wonderful. Something we should give thanks for and treasure. But there's a continuum here. And we're going to see in some verses here, as we think about our way of life, if you could put up the next verse, guys, it's, it's evident where Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So he does talk about the way that they live. But interestingly, I don't have this verse for you, but later on in chapter 3, he says, Always, to be, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. And isn't it interesting as we think about Jesus coming and in, in being incarnate. We've been looking at that in John's gospel. That God didn't simply... Uh, <laughs> wouldn't it be interesting if God dropped a gospel track out of heaven <laughs> and said, Here, here's the good news. But no, he came and, and he lived... Among us, but there is truth content. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is the Word? And as we think about a word of life versus a way of life, if we look at 1 John 1, we find him saying, That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, he's talking about the incarnation, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the Word of life. Now, Jesus is the word, but there is truth content. And for us to simply uh, sit back individually or collectively, but if we think individually, my job is the way I live before others, um, we look at the scriptures and realize that there is, God did not wait for us to kind of find out and figure it out <laughs> and to ask questions. Jesus came to us. Jesus came proclaiming the truth, demonstrating who he is. And in reality, when we think about uh, our witness, what is witnessing anyway? It is this full-orbed picture of us testifying to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It is a way of life, but it is also that word of life. Now, if, again, if I could put up by show of hands... 
If we had a vote in the room, right, we could, we could do this like fusion. I could say, okay, if you want to do it, you go to that corner, right? If I give you a question, you go stand over there or, or you stand over here. If we had to choose between way of life or word of life, I would, I would hazard to guess that mo most of us would be much more comfortable with the way of life than, than the word of life and, and communicating something. And that's okay, but it's not okay. <laughs> it's okay that we face that reality. And what our intent in this, all of this to mean is, is just to face it and then to realize actually, no matter how we feel about it, your witness matters. Your witness matters. Why does it matter? I want to read another just brief but familiar passage to many of us in Ephesians chapter 4. If you guys could put uh, that verse up. This is why your, your witness matters. That's the mirror looking back at you. So we know these verses perhaps. We've heard them before. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, I should have prefaced this before I read this and said, think, think of a number in your head of, of all the followers of Jesus Christ in the world. In general, about what percent of them do you think actually are engaged in what I would call vocational ministry? Like, like me, I work for a church. I don't know what the percentage would be, but I would suggest to you, out of all the followers of Jesus Christ in the world, it is infinitesimally small. Perhaps as little as 0.1%. That's these guys. Evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. 99.9% .9 versus 0.1%. And in this, it's interesting because in our mindset, we can even think it's these people, particularly with this topic, the evangelists, the experts, the people who know what they're doing. Are any of you DIYers? Like anybody, when you find something at home or your car, is your first thought, call the expert? Or is your first thought, look it up on YouTube? I'm the look it up on YouTube type. I want to know what, I want to, I want to become, I want to become the expert. I want to, I want but there's, when we think of experts, we can think of that in terms of ministry. And God, it says, gifts people with, with skills that he has granted by his spirit to the church not to get the job done. What does he say? To equip his people for works of service. There are some people who are extraordinarily gifted, some of whom when they hear about evangelism, it doesn't fill them with dread, it fills them with excitement. They see a room, they just want to tear in there and start conversations. I... And God gifts people to the church, yes, to, to, to use that gift and to, and to bring fruit from it, but it's, it's also to be an equipper. So on your sheet, there's, there's, a, there's two blanks of what, why does your witness matter? Because there's this mindset between experts and equippers. 
And if you're thinking there are those who are the experts who do this, and their witness matters more than mine, I want to dispel that myth. It is your witness that matters. In fact, if you remember, uh, and I, I can't remember the exact figure, but, but Mike was talking about the, the, the study that was done that revealed what was important to people who made professions of faith and were converted to Christianity as adults. And I believe it was three out of four of them said it was the witness of an ordinary Christian person, not the expert. So by every measure you can possibly think of, proportion, by actual data that tells us this is the case, if we are going to say whose witness matters in this room, it would be all of ours. All of us at some form, some level, having that communication, that testifying, giving testimony to who Jesus is. I have a quote here from a man. He, he was a, a scholar at Yale University in the U.S. I believe this book was written in the 60s about the expansion of Christianity throughout history. And he says this in a more scholarly way than I would put it, but he says, the chief agents in the expansion of Christianity appears not to have been those who made it a profession, the me's of the world and other clergy, but men and women who carried out their livelihood in some purely secular manner. They drove vans. They rode into London. <laughs> they built things. They helped people. Nurses, social workers, carpenters, business people. They carried out their livelihood in some purely secular manner and spoke of their faith to those they met in this natural fashion. Christianity spreads not through experts getting the job done, but the gospel spreads, the testimony, the witness happens through those experts equipping us. I'm standing here and telling you I'm not the expert. I said that last week. If I would give you full disclosure, I'm the guy who is with some of you in the room that there's dread sometimes when I think about opening my mouth for Jesus. I'll confess that to you. I'm not the expert. But I want to be equipped. And I want all of us to be equipped. So that in this natural way, wouldn't it be wonderful? We talked about, could you guys just put up that plane picture one more time? Sorry, I wasn't planning on this. It's always a worry in my head when I'm not planning on something and I decide to do it anyway. Um, the, the plane with the uh, way of life and the word of life, right? Without divulging too much, I just want to pull back the curtain a little bit into the hearts of some of your, your elders and the things that I've heard them pray about. And it's really exciting for me. And it warms my heart and it gets me excited because as excited as we are about this and the warmth, I have heard the expression, Lord, would you just shake the tree one more time? <laughs> and you know what that expression means? 
It means in this, we're pleading, we're pleading for God. And we're going to get to this, our role and his role as we go through this whole thing. But we're pleading for God that as the word of life is spoken into this warmth that he has created, something he's done, that he will bring fruit from that. And will that happen on Sundays? I hope so. I pray for that. That as the word of God goes out in our sermons and different things and messages that take place from this pulpit, that God will call people to life. That's his role. But it can also happen over a cup of coffee. It can happen walking the dogs. It can happen with your coworker. We're here to invite all people not to church. Though I hope you do invite them to church because that can be one way in which they come under the word of God and God uses that in his spirit to, to bring them to life. But he can also use you. He wants to use you. His plan is to use you, as we hear that from this quote from this scholar, but we also see it in the pages of the New Testament. Acts chapter 8. If you go to that slide, I know we're out of order. Oh, you guys are on it. Thank you. Acts chapter 8. So again, we saw this in On the Move last autumn, how the church was persecuted, scattered, and it went out. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered. So... Where did the experts stay? Jerusalem. <laughs> right? But the rest were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Stephen was martyred. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. God kept the experts in Jerusalem, but he, he spread the gospel. He used the witness, the testifying of ordinary people. Grassroots. Not top-down. Everybody. So your witness matters. We have a sense of dread about it. <laughs> we have to face that reality. Many of us do. So how do we move and this is where I just want us to land tonight. How do we move from a sense of dread, if that's what you're feeling? How do we move from a sense of deficiency and discouragement to associate our witness to the truth of Jesus with hope, joy, confidence? So when you think about proclaiming the gospel, you know, this is that football coach I, I mentioned earlier, said, you know, Confidence is contagious, so is lack of confidence. You know, when we've seen God at work around us, it should give us confidence, not in ourselves, but who? In Him. There should be a growing confidence among us, a hope and a joy. How do we move from those other things to that? I just want to suggest um, two things and then close with a bit of Paul sharing his witness from the book of Acts. Two things that help move that sense of dread and deficiency and discouragement to hope, joy, and confidence. Sometimes I think we can focus or uh, think too much about our story versus his story. Our story versus his story. You may feel in this sense of deficiency and discouragement that you don't have much to share. Or... What we do share, we share about the difference that Christ has made in our lives. How perhaps 
He's giving you a sense of, well, we talked this morning, joy or peace. Um, or as you're going through difficulty, he's a source of comfort for you and, and all these other things. But in our secular, pluralistic society, what might be the response we get from somebody when we communicate, this is what Jesus has done for me? That's great. I have an essential oil for that. Or I have a yoga class for that. Now I'm not saying our story doesn't matter. Or that our experience isn't real. Or that it's not valuable. But in the end, it's not your story. It's not my story. Other than how this story has been shaped by his story. There is not simply... And I say this to encourage you, how does this move the dial from dread to hope, from deficiency to joy and confidence, when you realize it's not about you? As I have grown, and again, no expert, in this journey of discipleship, learning to be, to do the work of evangelism, it has helped me so much to, re to, to realize it is not my story. It's not my um, winsomeness per se. Not that you want to be dull <laughs> or, or any one of those things. But ultimately, it is the truth about who Jesus is and that authority that we convey both through way of life and word of life that God uses. So it's a sense of taking the burden and the burden of proof, if you will, of convincing people just how great life will be if they choose Jesus. When what do we know? Following Jesus can make your life pretty complicated and costly. And if we don't tell people that honestly up front, they're going to figure it out soon enough. It's his story, not our story. We don't have to sell Jesus by how great he's made our life. We simply tell people about his life. Second thing, not so much focusing on our story, but his story. It's, I've alluded to this already, your role versus his role. You know, we talked about um, being a church on the move. I don't know if you recall this, but one of our first sessions, we talked about what is the motivation for the gospel going out for this mission in the world of more and more people coming to know Jesus and growing into a, a discipleship relationship with him, as we think about, you know, this dread perhaps that revolves around us sharing the gospel with people, the ultimate goal, as Mike said, you know, two weeks ago, he's not interested in making us Christians, he wants to make us disciples. My goal here tonight is not to make all of us, you know, like ace soul winners. You know what I mean? Like we're going to hit the tubes this week and poo, poo, start, start making converts for Jesus. Because the goal is that you and I and this church and all that we do, we glorify God. That's the end. The Westminster Confession, right? What is the chief end of man? To, enjoy, to, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so in our witness... That needs to fit in the framework of us glorifying God. Not getting the job done. 
not feeling like experts, but we glorify God. And, and in our glorifying of God, it's not to say that we don't care if people aren't coming to Jesus. We, we desperately want them to. There's a dissatisfaction because it's the glory of God that we're interested in and more people coming uh, to know him. But our role is not to bring the results. Our, our role is, is not to, to make it happen. Our role is to be obedient and faithful in what he's called us to be, his witnesses. Because when we realize what the aim of all of this is, you realize just really, and this is coming around full circle to that sense of inadequacy, if we understand what we have over the last year or so as we've thought about some doctrinal things, some theological things, that people are dead in sin and need to be called to life through the gospel. They need to be regenerated by the Holy Spirit. What could I possibly do? What words could I in my own strength and wisdom possibly say to make that happen. I can remember sometimes in, in my previous church praying before a service and saying, Lord, if I could just reach into people's heads and flip switches. You know, so this is what you need to think. This is what you, you know, here's the truth. But I, I can't make that happen, Lord. Only you, only God can make that happen. His role is the one of calling the dead to life. His role is one of bringing absolute conversion and transformation to a person's life. So what they loved in the past, sin and rebellion, they abhor now. That what used to have them enslaved, now they're set free. How can I do that? How can you do that? We can't do that, but what can we do? By our way of life, and by the words that we speak, glorify God and honor Him. And by our lives and the transformation He's brought in us and the words that we speak, be that witness, be that testimony. And so while we started with facing the reality of something like maybe we don't feel like we want to do this, <laughs> I hope you feel some sense of growing confidence that if God has ordered things this way, He wants to use us. His, his plan is to use you. His chosen plan is to use you. Your witness matters. Your role is to glorify him. My role is to glorify him, to be faithful and to share. To point people to repentance and conversion and regeneration. In Acts chapter 26, I love these verses. They were transformative to me in, in my witnessing. Because when we come from a position, not of our ability and our lack of it or deficiency, but when we come from the authority of Jesus, which are in these verses, and then see how it influences what Paul says. I, that's why I wanted to close with this. And hopefully it sends us on a trajectory for the weeks that come ahead. So Paul is, is a is on trial, if you will, for the gospel. He's before King Agrippa. And he's relaying in this chapter uh, everything that has happened in his previous life before Jesus, how he met Jesus, and now 
why he was on the trajectory he was, proclaiming by his way of life and by the word of life who Jesus is. This is what Jesus said to him. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Just stop there. Why this verse? Why is this important? For you and I to hear tonight as we leave this place as followers of Jesus, when you realize your witness matters, it is because God, this I know is specifically to Paul here, but if we take it in context of the whole New Testament, when he says, you'll be my witnesses, there's authority behind this. This is King Jesus. All, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. And he tells us to go make disciples, to be his witnesses. And so he says, I'm sending you. But he says, I'm going to open their eyes. It's going to be the power of God that is at work here. And so he says, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles, to everybody. (laughs) I preached that they should repent and turn to God. And demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Over the next few weeks, we're going to start exploring what is the actual words of life we need to be sharing with people. But I hope you see what led him. Can you imagine having a conversation with somebody? Imagine just a friend, a coworker, a neighbor. And at some point, not just talking about church, not just talking about something, but if God opens a door for a conversation to say, you know what, Bill, Jenny, whatever, whatever, your, whatever the person's name is. If Jesus is who he says he is, he calls us to repent. He calls us to turn to him. You know, in a modern world where everybody gets to create their own truth, What gives us the audacity, in a sense, to enter into that marketplace of ideas and say to people, this is something you need to do. It's because Jesus is who he says he is. And so as we finish tonight, I want us just to finish, I'll kind of dedicate where we're going over the next few weeks. And if you would, I'm going to leave it open for a few seconds at the beginning. And as I started, if you're thinking, dread, don't like this topic, really don't want to do it, would you just take a few moments, and if God is so leading in your heart, to simply say, Lord, I've been reminded tonight my witness matters. And I want, by my word of life and my way of life, to point people to you. I don't know where this journey will take me, but I'm, I'm willing to go on it. <laughs> and I pray you're glorified through it. I just encourage you to pray something like that if the Lord leads you. And I'll close our time in prayer. Let's pray.
Father, I thank you that there is the good news of the gospel that we sang about earlier, that we talked a bit about tonight in terms of our pointing people to Jesus by word and deed. And tonight, Lord, we come to you and I thank you that uh, as we think about this idea of telling the truth, that we don't need to be motivated by fear or dread or guilt. And that I pray, Father, there would be among us a growing sense of your desire to be at work in us and through us in this way. That I do pray each person in the room would sense as followers of you that their witness matters. And as we think about what this means and how we understand the gospel, and we are going to talk about some ways to talk about it, some practical things. But it's so important at the front end of this to align our hearts with what your plan is. And so, Lord, while many of us, myself included, we sometimes experience dread and discouragement and a sense of deficiency, Lord, please help us at this moment to have a, a point where we deal with you and we realign ourselves to the reality, facing reality, that ultimately this isn't about us, that our role is to bring glory to you. It's not our story that compels people or uh, is even the most important thing. It is your story and what you're doing in bringing people to yourself. And so, Lord, as we think about our role, we know that ultimately you are the great evangelizer. You are the one who brings the good news in yourself, Lord Jesus. And as you came, you said, so I am sending you. Go be my witnesses. Go make disciples. Lord, would you move among us in a great way that all of us in this room would know the joy and hope and confidence of you being at work in us and through us to tell people about Jesus. T together, as we do things collectively as a church and individually as we live out our lives uh, each day of the week. Lord, we commit ourselves to you towards this task, but really towards this great privilege if we see it properly. And so we celebrate you this night and the great Savior that we have and we pray that you in your goodness and your glory would use us in bringing people to the foot of the cross and allow you to do your work there. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we finish tonight, Chris is going to come lead us in a song. I just want to be mindful to make sure I share one notice with you, and that is uh, next Sunday morning, 1030, we're going to continue our series in Come and See in the Gospel of John. Um, obviously, as we've been saying, each week an opportunity to invite people, and this is a great way by simple invitation that we can be testifying to Jesus as each week people come and see and can encounter Jesus. And so uh, Yannick uh, is going to be coming, Pastor Yannick from Stockwell Baptist, one of our partner churches. And uh, so next Sunday, 1030, just want to make sure you remember that and remind that. And Chris, to you.